0: onto the science fiction story number 1 humans are weird dogs are too written by betty adams looks like it'll be another rough day out there tomorrow bub Crichton observed as he sipped his coffee black strong and cheap as it could be bought it was probably grown in a trash heap behind some factory in Chicago. If Bub had any opinion on the quality of his master's drink, he kept it to himself. His shaggy white head was pointed at the door of the small mountain cabin in a seeming idle interest in the howling of the storm outside. Occasionally, his ears would twitch at some squawk of the radio that was quietly muttering to itself on one of the rough shelves in the crowded room. The fire in the little pot-bellied stove crackled and thumped and Crichton A man who wore a title average with comfortable grace got up to add another log to it. He had to move around the box full of blankets and a pile of assorted bottles, nipples, and powdered milk, all stocked in anticipation for the arrival of several hundred new lambs that the mountain was expecting any day now. The fire... Attended to Crichton turned his attention to Bub, who was whining softly and pawing at the door. Crichton arched his eyebrows and examined the shaggy white mass curiously. The dog's head was tilted to the side with curiosity, and there was the faintest sign of stress in the movement of its bushy tail and the knitting of the comical brown eyebrows. Crichton sighed and looked at the clock ticking away on the wall. 3 a.m. and the snowstorm roaring. If Bub needed help, there would be no way for Crichton to provide it to him out there. But you don't normally need help, do you, Bub? Crichton asked amicably, walking over to scratch behind Bub's perked ears. Bub waved his tail eagerly and let his tongue lull out of his mouth. Crichton sighed. He had just checked the ewes in the evening and none were nearer than lambing in three days. Hopefully, after the storm had passed. If it were a wolf or a bear or even a coyote, Bub would be snarling murder at the door. "'Well, here's to you just wanting to go sniff the odd fox, Bub,' Crichton said as he set the shoulder to the rough-hewn plank door. It took a massive shove from the man who was neither small nor weak to even open the door against the falls to the wind, but Bub was out into the storm in a leap with nothing but glee in every fiber of his body.' Crichton mused over what forty-odd years had taught him about sheep, chance, biology and the ways of dogs and life inside. Just in case, he told himself and clock as he moved to the piled supplies. He turned up the radio and let it fill the cabin with the mournful tones of Johnny Cash while he cleaned out the low-sided wooden box that had layered it with battered but clean wool blankets. He set a pot of water to boil on the stove and lined up three bottles with nipples in the bottle holder that leaned against one wall. If there was a lambing ewe out there, Bub would know what to do. If the lambs were strong, hale, and wanted, Bub would soothe the ewe and curl close to her side and keep it warm. If it were weak, sickly, or rejected, Bub would bring them to Crichton. Best to be prepared in any case." If a lamb was stillborn, well, Bob wouldn't leave anything to tempt the coyotes into developing a taste for mutton-like around The radio fell silent for a moment in the middle of the Folsom prison blues And Crichton glanced up at the nearest emergency alerts spread Highway 47 is closed for milepost 15 to milepost 32 through White Pass due to inclement weather Alternate routes are available along Drift Creek Road and Green Butt Road The announcer stated, Snow chains are now required down to a thousand feet. A convoy carrying various diplomatic officials comprising of three black Chevy escorts had fallen out of contact, and residents are requested to report any sightings of closed area. The message was repeated a few times and Crichton finished his preparations. He sat back down in his chair as Cash started singing again. As if struck by a sudden thought, he got up and pulled his smartphone out of the box on the shelf. He thumbed the map function, assured that it would be no matter if there was no signal, and traced his finger along the red stripe of the highway and then the thinner black line of Green Butt Road. There were perhaps ten miles between the nearest point and the road and the hanging valley that sheltered his cabin. Crichton shrugged and wrapped a blanket around his shoulders before turning down the lamp and settling into his chair. He was woken up by the sounds of scratching at the door and groaned as he untangled himself from the blanket. If there was no lamb, Bub would have barked to be let in, so much will sleep tonight. He wrenched the door open and closed it firmly behind the dog, and followed Blub sleepily into the lamb bed and knelt down, holding out his hands for the wee one. He didn't even fully open his eyes until Bub gave a low, frustrated growl. Crichton forced his eyes open and stared dumbly at Bub's mouth. That, um, he said softly, that is no lamb. He staggered to his feet and turned the light to full power before returning to where Bub had placed the something in the lamb bed. Well, it's something all right, Crichton said as he knelt by Bub, something that's supposed to be alive. Crichton held the lamp over the tangle of drooping mop like limbs. He hung the lamp on the wall, a hook, and set there for the purpose, and reached out to gently untangle the creature. Bob whined in concern, but didn't try and interfere. The muscles were stiff, but not rigid, and terribly cold. A few minutes of sorting out the mass revealed the creature was no longer than wide, and there was a pair of limbs that were a bit longer on one end and a bit rougher on all the others, as if from hard use. Around one of these there was a bracelet or a ring or something that was intricately carved. Crichton eased it off and examined it. Ambassadors and friends was etched around the inside. His brow knitted, and he glanced sharply at the creature in the lamb bed. "'What in the flying scrap did you bring me, bub?' Crichton demanded. "'Or, uh, who?' He reached down and dug his fingers into the mass of appendages until he touched the core that they all attached to and frowned. He could feel no warmth. "'Is it alive, bub?' Crichton asked. Bub chuffed softly and nosed the creature. His tongue licked it out and ran over the appendages.' ''I'll take that as a yes,'' Crichton said. He took out a pot of water and mixed it with some ice, cold snow until it was just a little warmer than his hands, and he eased the creature into the pot, making sure to leave the end with the longer appendages and the jewellery out to breathe. ''I rather hope you breathe,'' he commented as he gently massaged the alien. ''A diplomatic convoy, huh? A thought struck him, and he glanced at the clock. It was almost seven. ''How did you run twenty miles in two hours?'' Crichton demanded a Bub. Bub waved his tail and slipped under the blanket that hung on the wall and led the of firewood storage. Crichton sighed and continued his ministrations. After an hour, the alien began to move weakly. Soon, there was fighting to slip fully down into the water. Crichton kept the front end, at least he hoped it was the front end, out of the water until the disgruntled voice demanded, ''Would you please let me hydrate properly, friend human?'' The voice was odd, hollow in a way that Crichton dropped the alien in shock. It hummed happily and began circling the bottom of the pot in undulating motion. Crichton watched it circle for a moment and then shrugged and returned to his chair. He was just dozing off when the hollow voice sounded again, stronger this time. Pardon my intrusion on your sleep cycle, friend Hubert, but could I bother you to add more thermal potential to this miniature biome? Crichton blinked dumbly at the massive appendages sticking out of the pot and ran the words over his head a few times. He grunted and staggered up and added some more hot water from the kettle. The alien wriggled happily and scooted to the side as Crichton poured hot water in. Thank you, grand human, the alien said before submerging again. Do I call you ambassador? Crichton asked. The alien paused and poked its head out again. Oh, yes, that'll do nicely. May I ask you a question? Sure, Ambassador, Crichton agreed. How did you rescue me from the terrifying creature? The ambassador asked, its voice becoming less hollow and strangely as it warmed up. What terrifying creature? Crichton asked. Large, hairy one with all the teeth, the ambassador said, waving its appendages with what Crichton guessed was supposed to be an explanatory manner. Bub? Crichton asked. On hearing his name, Bub stuck his head out of the flap and looked expectantly. Crichton, the ambassador, gave a soft squawk and ducked back into the water. Yes, that's the one I mean, the ambassador said, the voice sounding out of the pot's sides. I didn't rescue you from Bub, Crichton said. Bub rescued you from the storm and brought you to me for help. I see the ambassador said. Is he quite safe? For you, Crichton asked. Sure. So long as you are my guest, he will protect you. I understand, the ambassador said. Then perhaps I should bid you good night, my host. I must refresh my energy stores. But if you are willing, I would like to ask some questions about my rescue tomorrow. The ambassador dropped back down into the water and out of sight in the pot. Crichton blinked at him and idly wondered if he would be all the dream of by dawn. He shrugged and sat back down in his chair. You and me both, he muttered. You... And me both. End of story. Story number two. Nerv culture fights for them. Written by Skank Hunt. Vespreka must remain pure. Nope. Too banal. Vesprekians reject human culture. Has to be more specific than that. Vesprekians reject anime. You're too specific. High Father Crom felt uninspired. The protest scheduled for the auspicious equinox was only two days away, and he still didn't have his slogan. He could blame the humans for many things: polluting, best-breaking industry with their unwanted gadgets, destroying normal trade with their ludicrous economics, murdering aesthetics with the gaudy excuses for art, making heretics of his fellow high fathers. But for this, the blame was his alone. Reluctantly, he turned to his few remaining disciples for advice Forget the slogan, we have no silver to rent a venue We have no transportation, no publicity Even if we had a slogan, we can't possibly put our banners up in only two days And even if we had everything, we have no idea if anyone will even show up Hi father, we need to seriously reconsider Silence! Grom yelled, instantly ending the uproar Peace once again returned to the vaulted chamber. Its elegant mosaics and ornate buttresses no longer felt out of place. Many cycles ago, when I first became High Father, such disrespect would have earned you all a good lashing. Clouds dimmed the brilliant afternoon sunlight filtering through the mosaics. Just like his disciples, it looked like the Sky Spirit herself was preparing for one of High Father Crom's monologues. Disagreeing with the High Father, I expect that from a human, not from my own disciples. Things were different back then, before the humans arrived in our system fifty cycles ago. The High Fathers had guarded Vesprecian culture for uncountable generations. Our culture survived war and famine, so we were sure it would survive contact with a minor trading species. All eleven high fathers vehemently opposed any cross-cultural exchange, and we were prepared to die in the line of duty. Luckily for them, the humans respected our wishes and limited their exchanges to narrow technical fields. In hindsight, permitting any exchange at all was a terrible idea. Blink, 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 blink. The mercurial hourglass chimed, shortening Crom's daily monologue. I know we don't have time, so I'll make this quick. We are the last thing standing between Vesprachian culture and complete degeneracy. If we don't have a protest in two days, then we will fade into irrelevance. I don't know how, but you must uh, make this happen. Dismissed, and may the old father be with you. High Father Crom's disciples scattered into the determined flurry. Despite his friends, they knew that he was right about the protest. It had to happen, or they'd be yesterday's news. Blink, 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 blink. The mercurial hourglass chimed just as they did yesterday. High Father Crom gave his disciples an impossible task, and he fully expected them to fail. Even the mosaics judged him, and Crom was sure that he noticed disappointment in their expressions of serene benevolence. One by one, his disciples trickered in. Surprisingly, their mood was exuberant, almost as if they broke their vows of celibacy. Crom knew better, and waited for all his disciples together before questioning them. Disciple Goth, do we have the silver for rent? ''Oh, yes, and more,'' Garth replied. ''We have fifteen hundred silvers, enough to rent the Plexus Megarina.'' ''Oh, Father, be praised. How did you manage to raise so much silver so quickly?'' Garth dampened his exuberance. ''Crowdfunding. Hi, Father, there's an app.'' Crom was visibly shaken. ''Crowdfunding. Disciple Garth, we can't use human culture to fight human culture.'' I know, high father, but fifteen hundred silvers is a lot of coinage, a small sin for the greater good. Garth's argument wasn't very compelling, but the coinage sure was. High father, Crom had little choice but to reluctantly agree with him. Crom moved to the next disciple. Disciple, Emlek. what about transport? It can be arranged, high father. There's a ride sharing app. Emlech was cut off by Crom's piercing glare. Let me guess. Uh, Human culture, sin, greater good, yada yada. Crumb sighed. Not like we have a choice. Now on to the publicity and banner problems. Scrum continued. Disciple Anorak. what have you to report? Targeted advertising and 3D printing, High Father. Over ten thousand participants are interested. And Disciple Anorak was interrupted by a long, guttural groan, completely unbefitting a High Father. Never mind, Anarak, at least protest is still on. Good job, everyone. Uh, High Father Crum, did he dismissed the meeting before remembering the crucial detail. Wait uh, we still don't have a slogan. Disciple Impret stepped forth, handing a piece of parchment to High Father Crum. A single reading of the expertly calligraphied words completely changed Krom's disposition. Gone was a disenchanted old man, and in his place stood an elated Krom, who looked like he met the old father himself. These are the most beautiful words that I have ever read. These words alone could circumnavigate the planet a hundred times over, reaching each and every Vesprachian. Surely, these words are fruits of divine providence." Actually, it's from Emprat's eyes glazed over and fixed on the floor. He looked like he'd rather face a death squad than face Crum. Please, don't tell me. Please, don't tell me. My father Crum wasn't feeling any better. It's um adapted from an ancient Terran slogan. This is the end then. The humans have won. Crom's voice was dispassionate, lacking the energy for anger. That's the damn thing about these humans. They don't fight for their culture. Their culture fights for them. This is how all the other High Fathers fell. One by one, they adopted the ways of the humans, until they were more human than their enemies. It's over. Cancel the protest. Pack your belongings and find another calling. Find a mate. Have kids? I don't care anymore. The group dispersed with little chatter, as the High Father and his former disciples went their separate ways. None gazed upon the crumpled parchment that rested below an altar. Within it, for better or worse, an ancient Terran slogan would soon be forgotten once more. Make Vasprekia great again. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. Cheers.